Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Happy Thanksgiving, O'Toole. Happy Thanksgiving, Hollister. We have much to be grateful for. You know, we do. But one of the things I'm really grateful for is I do love doing our podcast. And so I'm really grateful to all of the people who listen and the feedback they give us and everything else because we're lucky girls. For sure. We really are a huge thanks to all our listeners. Yes. Yes. So happy Thanksgiving to everyone. And to all the artists who bring it. You know, without <laughs> yeah. them, we wouldn't have much I to know, say, would we? I know. And we're going to start our week off with our list of six, okay. which sort of morphs right into this. We decided to do movies to watch during the holiday season. And a big thanks to Melissa Cohn, uh, the great mortgage guru of all time, FMM Home Loans, and... Thanks to her for sponsoring our list of six, hashtag list of six. So movies to watch during the holiday. Okay, forget the movies. We know that everyone's <laughs> going to start watching uh, the uh, year in the life of the Gilmore Girls that, that launches tomorrow on Netflix. So wish they loaded it in today instead of Friday so everybody could have been watching on on Thanksgiving, but it is well, loading in tomorrow. Hollister, yeah. you know I come from a long line of non-cooks, and that would have given us something to do on this holiday. I know. You know? Exactly. Exactly. So what's your first pick for holiday movies to watch? Okay, I went with one of my favorites. In terms of the piece itself and in terms of the holiday, it's The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Oh, <laughs> my sorry. God. I know. You and your Charlie. Wait, isn't this the second know. time you pick Charlie Brown for something or other? I would it probably was. pick Charlie Brown for for everything if I could. Uh-huh. I really would. The great pumpkin and Linus and the pumpkin patch. I love the fall. I love the pumpkins. Gourds in okay, general. Okay, well, you know what? Good for you. And you should pick whatever you want. And you go ahead and watch that and you can review it all by your little lonesome self next week. How's that? The okay, holidays, so... that one's past us. So Okay. Yes. I have to go with one that's written and directed by one of my very favorites, Nancy Myers. It's oh, Cameron, uh, Cameron the Diaz. The holiday. I feel it yes, coming. Uh-huh. It is. Well, it is um, Cameron Diaz and, and Kate Winslet, which I think at their finest. And I was talking with a bunch of friends about our list of six at dinner the other night. And, and I told them I was going to pick The Holiday. And one of them said that the reason she loves that movie so much is because she's both Kate and Cameron. And oh, I know, and not only that, though, I mean, you know, that she's all, you know, she's that strong Cameron Diaz, you know, throw his clothes out into the, into the um, driveway girl, but she's also that girl who's just pathetic and holds on way longer than she ever should have. And I think we had this huge conversation about, what is there about us that will either put up with that or, you know, or or spend as much time, you know, being that tough girl person, too? But it is one of my great holiday films, and I do watch it every year, actually. You know what it makes me think, though? I think a future list of six that we should do are six movies where women have shockingly worn inappropriate footwear. because I always remember Cameron Diaz fresh out of sunny LA arriving in England and all that she did slide her way down that um, down that road no question okay give me another one what's your second one okay this will not be surprising but the holiday (laughs) is New Year's Eve and the movie is When Harry Met Sally When Harry Met Sally you, you consider seem that a, a holiday? Shocked by this? Well, it, just because I wouldn't have put it in the holiday genre. Oh, I think it's a huge New Year's Eve movie where they go oh, to that New Year's Eve party. Oh, that's and true. There's you know the big what? Kiss, it is. And... Yes, you go, girl. Uh huh. 
When Harry met Sally. Absolutely. No, it is. And also, you know, carrying the Christmas tree and they decorated it together one year and not the next. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. It's a, I, I watch it. I think it's an all year round movie. So. <laughs> it is. I would watch every day's a holiday when you got When Harry Met Sally. Okay, mm-hmm. it's a great choice. Great choice. Okay, my second is White Christmas with Bing Crosby. Oh, and, you know, a classic. Yeah, I'm a sucker for, you know, helping people. Combined with service to one's country, that all takes place in Vermont. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's nothing better than all those three combined. So it basically had me at hello. And oh. I do love that movie. And I haven't watched it in a really long time. And as I was putting these mov- this movie list together, I thought, what a gift. I'm going to watch it again this year. So for me, it's White Christmas with Bing. Do you want to hum us a few bars of I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas? I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Okay, you can go on with your third one. Okay, this is my last one, and I almost mentioned Groundhog Day, but I know how that movie torments you, but I thought, you know, at least it's one of the more obscure holidays. But I went with one that I really love that puts me in the mood of the holiday, and I know you're about to poo-poo it. The original <laughs> How the Grinch Stole Christmas, not the Jim Carrey remake. Okay, I think you need to reevaluate your m- maturity level. I gotta tell you, <laughs> this is Boris Karloff as the Grinch. You know, little Cindy Lou and Whoville, some of the okay. greatest lyrics all right. of all time. Your soul's made out of garlic. You're as cuddly as a cactus, you're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a. Greasy you know what? I have no right to judge you because I've never seen it. So You've I don't even never know why. Seen it. Well, I've made up for you because, you know, I probably see okay. it once a year to see little Max the dog, but they're doing another remake due out in 2018 starring Benedict Cumberbatch. I can see him as the Grinch for sure. I mean, I've read the book a million times, but I've never seen the movie. But you know what? Because you went and saw Silence of the Lambs with me, I am going to watch that movie. So what do you think about that? That's my Christmas gift to you. I think right there might be a very pithy summary of the differences in in our genre. Okay, well, my last is uh, the 1994 version of Little Women with Renona Weiner and Kirsten Dunst and Claire Danes. It's a great story. And what, what I love about this movie is it's told in this slow, meandering way um, that it should be told, you know, from long, long ago. And I think it's a perfect holiday movie, especially if you have tween girls. You know, if you have girls between the ages of 9 and 13, sit down with them. Yeah, I watched it with my daughter when she was that age, and we loved it. I loved the book. Yeah. Hollister, did you see the theater news? They are turning the 2001 Oscar-nominated French movie Amelie into a musical. Huh. Yeah, so the L.A. premiere is opening December 4th, and it's coming to Broadway with previews in March, opening Ooh, April 3rd. Thought? I would never have thought that. That's so interesting. Yeah. And I think that's actually a really good choice for a musical because it was such a quirky character with this rich fantasy life and helping others and romance. Huh. And But speaking of theater news, I came across a quote this week that just cracked me up. I always wanted to be in movies because you can go to your own opening night, which you can never do when you're on the stage. (laughs) (laughs) Who said that? Barbara Streisand. Oh, great. First of all, that's so not true. She hates going out in crowds. She hates parties. And she's no desire to go to anybody's opening night. So, but it's a great quote. Love the quote. Love the you quote. You know, spoken in the true holiday spirit, they're Hollister. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, before we get to our movie, I did go and see Coming Through the Rye this week. I felt like I was reading about someone who understands me. Not Huck Finn, not Tom Sawyer, but Holden Caulfield. You have Salinger's permission. 
know, I got to start with Stefania Owen, you know, who um, who plays his sort of sidekick, almost girlfriend along the way. And aside from the fact that she looks exactly like my niece, Katie, who listens to our podcast, by the way, Hello, um, Katie. she really makes. Yeah, she makes the film. She's a great character. She's a strong, silent actor. And, you know, I love silent actors who are quiet and do it with their face and their movements. And but the first half of this movie is so brutally slow and tedious, you know, not to be confused by the second half that's really great, unexpected outcomes, and and just a wonderful portrayal by Chris Cooper as Salinger. He's always good. The Catcher in the Rye was created for the stage and people's minds. It mustn't be interpreted. It's all your words. If you do that play, you're stealing. Although I have to say, I was just watching him a couple weeks ago in Breach. Did you see him in Breach? I did. Yeah, and, and which is an amazing film. And I had a hard time taking him from a creepy spy to, to being Dia, you know, to being J.D. Salinger. So that was a little bit of a hard transition for me. Um, but I, I wouldn't pay to see this movie. I'm not recommending. But if it gets to Netflix, put it on your list. But just start halfway through it. And then you'll, you can just know, I'll just tell you, he was bullied, and so he wants to find Salinger to get permission from him to do Catcher in the Rye as a play, which he took and wrote um, from the dialogue directly from the book. So you can start halfway through when it gets to Netflix, and you don't have to watch the first half because it's not watchable, but the second half is really, really good. So that's my little tiny review from Coming Through the Rye. Every time I now hear Salinger, all I can think of is how you clobbered that snake in your house with your, your own copy. <laughs> I had a, I did. I had a snake in my house. It was in the springtime. And apparently, you know, there's a little family of them underneath the house. And they came I did. Ride. I killed it with, a, with, I did. JD and I killed the snake. By the way, I hate snakes a lot. And so it was, you know, I, I wish you hadn't brought that up. Okay. But, I'm so um, sorry. <laughs> But this week, let's move on to this week. So it's this Amy week, Adams all, week. Yeah, we're all, it's all about celebrating Amy Adams, and she had two movies out this week. And I did Arrival, and O'Toole did Nocturnal Animals. And I just want to protest right out of the gate that you, cle- I didn't see Nocturnal Animals, but whatever it was, it was better than Arrival. So, well, it's funny. I saw them as a double header. I saw Nocturnal Animals. Oh, you and did I just go. You went ran. to both. I oh, went wow. to both. Yes. Okay. So I saw four hours of Amy Adams in a row. More objects have landed around the world. This is one of 12. I'm never going to be able to speak their words. Got two days. Figure something out. I am human. It's their language. I saw Arrival, I started to get a little concerned because I know that you generally don't do aliens. And I thought you've never really watched the X-Files. And I myself am not someone who runs to sci-fi things in general because I find them a little lonely when people get stuck up there in the intergalactic world. So, you know, I've never seen Interstellar. I've never seen Solaris. I've never seen Gravity. But if Amy Adams is the one out there in space, I, I will watch it. Well, you know, I was sort of hoping, look, I love Amy Adams. I mean, you know, I could talk about Amy Adams all day. I mean, I could, talk, you know, there's just so many places that we could we could go to with her. So many movies, you know, I mean, um, I was expecting an updated version of Contact, you know, 
uh, one of Jodie Foster's grades. But instead, as far as I'm concerned, Arrival was dead on Arrival. I mean, it was the it was just the worst, <laughs> slowest movie, alien movie in the history of mankind. Um, but let's talk about, we could talk about American Hustle or Trouble with the Curve or The Fighter or Julia and Julia or Doubt or The Wedding Date, but I don't want to talk about Arrival. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah. I mean, Amy Adams, it's, what a wow. She's been nominated for five Oscars already. That is incredible. But a lot of people are saying she's going to get nominated for this one. And for Arrival? Yes. And you know oh, what? God. I realized that Arrival reteamed the folks who did Sicario, which I know you loved. I did so love Sicario. It's yeah. Denis Villeneuve, the same director, Johan Johansson, who did the score. And again, that mm-hmm. cracked me up because I thought if you need alien music, go to Iceland, right. you know, it's the same editor, the same casting person, the same production designer, the same costume designer. And I know you loved Sicario. So I was hoping that you would no, be enjoying Arrival. I did not. Look, I don't need a seven minute buildup to see the alien and then have them look like an octopus, you know, in clouds, you know, in gray clouds. I mean, I just, I just didn't need to do that, you know? And the other thing is, you know, she's like, you know, she's huffing and puffing her way to nowhere, you know, inside her spacesuit, And then of course rips it off because the bird didn't die. I mean, <laughs> you can't be serious. The music was so heavy handed, so heavy handed. a piece of the dialogue it was funny this is the kind of movie i could have gone and watched a second time because i could have made all kinds of data analysis for you how long it took to get this part done or whatever i just couldn't do it but okay so here's this agent right who has who says we have to consider the idea that our visitors are prodding us to fight amongst themselves until only one faction prevails and then she says dr louise who is our great amy adams says there's no evidence of that And then the agent says, sure there is. Just grab a history book. The British with India, the Germans with Rwanda, and the aliens from we don't know where. I mean, seriously. (laughs) Is there worse dialogue? Is is there worse dialogue in any movie? I think people that like sci-fi movies are going to like this one. And what actually drew me to this, and I'm not saying it's my favorite movie of all time, but that I found it more cerebral than your typical sci-fi movie. So it wasn't really so special effects driven. To me, it was more about communication and linguistics. I was just going to say, you probably found it intellectually stimulating about the conversations around communications, Yes. which by the way, is probably true. But I could, if I want to learn about how people communicate, I can go to YouTube and type it in. Well, it's interesting (laughs) though, because, you know, I'm a little obsessed with movies that invent a whole special language just for the sake of the movie. So, for example, Sidney Pollack's film The Interpreter, which might have been one of the few, if not the only movie, um, ever filmed at the United Nations. It starred Nicole Kidman, and Sean Penn. They created a whole fake language for that movie. You know, don't even get me sorry about Klingon. They need to see me. Dr. Banks? Are you insane? It's a proper introduction. But hmm. whoever made this fake heptapod language with the ink squid writing, I kind of would have loved to have been seated in one of those rooms with the conversation about how to depict it and what it should mean. Um, but you know what the movie really reminded me of? Remember the I year before last <laughs> when we were at the Hamptons Film Festival and I went to see that documentary that was billed as 
the first documentary about true events that haven't happened yet, and it was called The Visit, An Alien Encounter. And it was that documentary that went around interviewing all these people whose job it is to be prepared for when the aliens do arrive. And I had no idea there was that special department at the United Nations um, who are thinking about these things. And I remember having lunch with you afterwards, and some of the questions raised in that documentary were the same ones raised here. Hmm. So, for example, in the documentary, they were interviewing one scientist, and he said, well... Again, given what we know from other arrivals in the past, for example, the European settlers arriving in the New World, and immediately so many people in the New World dying of smallpox, he's like, the first thing I would do is put up a wall between me and the aliens to make sure we don't contaminate each other. And sure enough, in arrival, they have to communicate through that wall. Or um, one philosopher in the visit said one of the first questions they would ask is, do you believe in evil? Or do you know the difference between right and wrong? And of course, I thought, I don't know how you would communicate this or how you know if you have a reliable narrator. But it was those kinds of questions, too, that were driving arrival. You know, what is your intention? Why are you here? We need to make sure that they understand the difference between a weapon and a tool. It was based on Story of Your Life by Ted Chiang, an acclaimed sci-fi writer. He said they did a great job, but, I, you know, I, I did not find the movie interesting, compelling, uh, or anything. But what's interesting is that it cost $47 million to make, and in the first weekend it brought in $30 million. That's in the That's in the first two weeks it brought in $30 million. So this is not, I don't think it's going to be one of those movies that takes off, because something like this usually takes off right away. I I think it's going to do just fine. You know, the, yeah. the most interesting question raised by the film to me, because it deals with non-linear time, since these aliens can see the past, the present, and the future all at once, which I guess is why their writing looks so circular. But if you could see into the future, would you want to? Well, I think the question that she asks is, would you, if you could see... If you could see into the future, would you change the way you behave? Oh, so you think if you could see into the future, you can still affect the future? Well, I think her question that she asked in the movie was, if you could, if you knew what was going to happen, would you change the way you behave to, to change the way it happens? And, and what a silly question. Of course you would. See, to me, the question was, if you can see into the future, would you tell others? which was the whole falling out she had with her husband. Right. It really, I don't know, it felt like a mind meld when I really thought about bending time like that. Mm, I don't know if I would tell. I, I don't know. I just, uh, you know, I don't know. I just found it sort of long and tedious and, and interesting. And then when they show all the different spaceships all going from, li from being sideways to being flat down, I thought, well, there's an interesting <laughs> five minutes for you. You know, I, the whole thing was just absurd. I thought it was to ridiculous. To me, the message felt a little heavy-handed. This, you know, everyone holding hands, we are the world moment that everyone around the globe needs to communicate and work together. Right. You know, although it is sad that many people's first reaction is fear and they must want to hurt us, which is kind of a surprising reaction when these 12 hovercraft are literally just hovering over Earth. I'm thinking if they really wanted to hurt us, they probably would have wiped us out by now. Well, you know, it's interesting because I did come home. I was so disappointed. I came home and I did watch Contact again. Mm -hmm. And it's all, it's appears in both the two movies, it's always the men who thinks, think that it's going to be, they're going to get us. 
And it's the women who say, well, that's not really what they're saying yet. You know, both Jody and, you know, it's so funny because it's sort of, you know, definitely gender based on what the opinion war, you know, war or, or peace. Um, but I think Contact's a far better movie. And I think it just lays itself out better. And I, th- I you know, I think, but, but I do love, I do love, love, love our Amy Adams. And if you want to talk about, which we, you know, we didn't, nobody talks enough about Trouble with the Curve, which... <laughs> which is the movie she was in. The first time Amy Adams ever came on my radar was yeah. with the movie Enchanted, where this is the thing I will say about her. She can pull off some lines that would make other people seem ludicrous. And I remember she was on the red carpet for the 2008 Oscars and someone stopped her and said, you know, Amy, you're singing the happy working song from Enchanted tonight in front of 1 billion people around the world. Are you nervous? And she just looked at them with that Amy Adams look and she goes, well, now I am. she is so likable, I thought, okay, if I had to send someone to the heptapods to represent us earthlings, I think Amy Adams would be in my, you know, top 10. Yeah, she's that girl next door. She definitely is. Definitely and that she girl spoke next Chinese, door. you know, she had to learn that, that sentence of Mandarin. Weren't you curious what she said? I had to look it up. Uh, no, I wasn't. At least bit <laughs> curious, actually. <laughs> By the way, there really? was nothing in that movie that made me curious about anything. So really? there you go. Well, see, that was a big point of contention between the screenwriter, Eric Heisserer, and Denis Villeneuve, the director, because the writer tormented himself trying to think of the perfect sentence to come up with that would just turn the plot that Amy Adams has to say in Mandarin. And the director said, you know, we're not going to subtitle it. So unless you speak Mandarin, you won't know what she says. But here's the line. In war, there are no winners, only widows. Oh. Still (laughs) not enough to turn you? No. (laughs) Okay, so before we end with this one, what did you think about Jeremy Renner, two-time Oscar nominee from The Hurt Locker and The Town? You know, I thought he was there. I didn't think he stood out. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I, I, he didn't move me one way or another. You know, my eyes are always on her when she's on the screen, but I, you know, I, I it was a sort of subpar position he was in, um, you know, and once she was brave enough to take off her space shoot, suit and then he boldly <laughs> strode forward and took his off. I thought, you go. Yeah. Okay. I, no, I just, I thought the whole thing was ridiculous. Really did. In fact, it was funny. You had asked me one of the things we were talking about. Should we do um, our list of six? Should we do six movies we walked out of? And I said, I've only walked out of one movie, and that was Alien. When the when the alien creature came out of the center of her chest, I walked out, but only because I had thrown up all over myself and the person in front of me. Oh, and I know. <laughs> Wait, and did you walk sure out enough, voluntarily, or were you? I know. Walked I out? probably would have walked out of this movie if I if I wasn't responsible for that half of so, Amy's weekend. Aliens and Arrival. I'm really thinking sci-fi is not your genre. No, not my genre. Okay, but let's move on. So, so what'd you think of Nocturnal Animals? Okay, and we should also say though, it also starred Forrest Whitaker, of course, the Oscar winner for The Last King of Scotland. Priority one. What do they want? Where are they from? You'll be reporting to me, but you'll be working with him when you're in the show. That's what they call him, the UFO. It didn't really star him. He was in it, but he wasn't a star. Um, 
Okay, nocturnal animals, which I once I saw the trailer and then started to do a little homework so I could ask you some interesting questions, I did think to myself, boy, did she get the better end of this deal. My ex-husband used to call me a nocturnal animal. I didn't know you had an ex-husband. I've been thinking about him a lot lately. And then recently he sent me this book that he's written. It's violent and it's sad. And he dedicated it to me. Did you love him? I did something horrible to him. Well, this is the second movie by Tom Ford. He Mm -hmm. wrote, produced, and directed this one. And so I know you mentioned Nancy Myers earlier in the podcast. He is also somebody that can really turn out some real estate porn. He filmed it in his own house. So when you go to see that beautiful home, that's his real house. Because it's Tom Ford, I find his directorial style to be a little like Madonna's, where they both have these highly stylized worlds with beautiful clothes. And in a Tom Ford movie, you know, you'll never see a white shirt as pressed. The women stars always look like they just stepped off the cover of Vogue. Every shot is beautifully framed. Um, And these two movies actually, they weren't dissimilar to one another. Of course, I saw them back to back, but each have a very bendy use of time with flashbacks. They both have beautiful glass and chrome homes. They both have book dedications. They both have plot points where people are surprised that Amy Adams had an ex-husband. And of course, in neither one does Amy Adams get to sleep. Do you ever feel like your life has turned into something you never intended? I'm worried about you. Are you sleeping? Well, she does very well with, with no <laughs> yeah, sleep. She, she gets a lot done. It does seem a little autobiographical. So Jake Gyllenhaal and Amy Adams both play people from Texas, like Tom Ford. There's discussion in this movie about making yourself vulnerable by putting your creative art out there and fearing people's reactions. Again, it was filmed in Tom Ford's house. The beginning, though, I have to say, my sister called it unnerving. And I will totally agree. It opens with some very corpulent, very naked women who I guess are part of an art installation. And as I was watching it, their body shapes become so amorphous. I thought maybe it was special effects. And it was kind of a harbinger of things to come in the movie where the lines literally start to blur and you're not exactly sure what's real and what might be someone's perception overlaid onto reality. Well, you know, it's been highly criticized, actually. There's much debate about whether it was necessary or not and whether the point, you know, was there... There should be a point to everything that's in a movie and it should lead towards something. And people thought... The criticism is that it was just done for, you know, to slap you across the face in a way that was unnecessary and not really pushing anything forward. Did you feel that way? Well, it felt like a 1930s German cabaret campy beginning. So she is an art gallerist and she stopped creating her own art. She's selling other people's. There's a man who comes up to her later in the movie and congratulates her on the show. And she's like, really? Like, she's not happy with her own art. So did you think it was important to the plot? I I didn't think it was necessary. Yeah. Well, that's what they're saying. Now, do you know Glenn Kenny, who writes for um, the Ebert uh, Reviewer um, website? uh Okay, so he he said, I, I just wanted to run this by you. He said it's a work of exceptional, undeniable craft, but it's also a movie that's meant to stick to you a little bit. Um. 
Indeed, so vehement is writer-director Tom Ford in articulating his vision at times that you'd think he'd be disappointed by a viewer that wasn't at little, least a little bit angry with him over the movie. Everybody's angry about this movie. Are th- were you angry? I wasn't angry, but I thought there were two things about the movie. And again, this is like Arrival, where there's a plot within a plot. You know, yeah. and Amy Adams... In both movies, she is excellent at emoting without talking. Because in both films, if you think about it, she's got a fairly passive role. In Nocturnal Animals, even more so. Because she's reading a novel that her ex-husband has sent her. That he has written about her. It's kind of his revenge piece. So you generally, throughout the movie, see her lying in bed reading with glasses on. It's not like she gets to be very active. I love her glasses, by the way. I covet them and want them. You know, and Tom Ford really knows how to pick clothes. But it's hard to pull off because she's passive, and Jake Gyllenhaal, his character, his tragic flaw is that he's supposed to be too weak. So you're watching a weak character and someone reading about a weak character. So is it a film noir? I mean, how? how what is is it? I would say it's a fashion thriller. A fashion? Oh my God, I love that. (laughs) Okay, now now I sort of want to see it, but I don't know how much it is really that I want to see it. If you like Tom Ford's stuff, you're probably going to love this. It's so stylized, though, that even the awful, creepy, violent lowlives from the novel within the movie, even they have beautiful dental plans. So it's not like... (laughs) You know, hey, it's everybody can use believable. a good dental plan. It's not to be scoffed at the way I, I see it. But, you know, Laura Linney has a very brief turn as a conservative mother. She plays Amy Adams' mother. She was great in her one scene. Don't do this. You'll regret it. And somebody who's acting really impressed me once again is Michael Shannon. He was fantastic as the Texan sheriff with lung cancer. What are we going to do? It's a question of how serious you are about seeing justice done. Mm -hmm. He starred, of course, in your favorite movie, Elvis and Nixon, where he played Elvis. (laughs) I know you actually emailed me that, and I just rolled my eyes and went to the next. I'm just not interested, you know? It doesn't surprise me in the least, actually. So maybe I didn't get the worst of the two movies, huh? Did you see Tom Ford's directorial debut, A Single Man, in 2009? I did not. I did see Actually, you know what? I did see it, but it was not memorable enough to remember seeing it. Well, I remember thinking Colin Firth has never looked so good, and he yeah. gave the funniest of interviews because he said Tom Ford called him up and said, you are my number one choice. I want you to star in my film. And Colin Firth said he was so honored and flattered and said yes immediately. And Tom Ford said, good, my personal trainer will be at your house tomorrow. <laughs> And Colin Firth was like, did Tom Ford just call me fat? And he he said that he'd never been in better shape than when he worked for Tom Ford. That's so funny. It is so funny. Nocturnal Animals also has Isla Fisher in it, who was really looking like Connie Britton Um, I like Connie. You know, whatever happened to Connie Britton? I love Connie Britton. Well, of Uh course, she was in Nashville. Oh, that's true. So she's very busy with the series, absolutely. And now, just to meld the two movies together... Jake Gyllenhaal is reteaming with Denis Villeneuve, who directed Arrival. They've already worked on two prior movies together, Enemy and Prisoners. So they're going to be doing a movie adaptation of the Joe Nesbo crime novel, The hmm. Sun. Now that I'm looking forward to. And by the way, I think Jake Gyllenhaal is really a talented all-rounder. You know what I mean? He's somebody you can sort of plant him in any position, in any movie, and he can do it. 
when you love someone, you have to be careful with it. You might never get it again. It was a good teaming of him with Amy Adams because she's somebody who I think is understated, which is very effective. Uh-huh. Whereas Jake Next Gyllenhaal, door. Yep. this is another movie where he looks like he's crying throughout the movie. <laughs> so <laughs> he's a little tormented. But, I don't you know, know if I see them together though. Are they? Uh, is it a love? It is a love interest, right? You kind of have to see it to okay. answer that okay. question. But Amy Adams has two new projects coming out. One is a TV series called Sharp Objects, mm-hmm. and the other is a sequel to Enchanted. It's called Disenchanted, and that's coming out next year as well. Huh? We forget how very vast this universe of actors and directors and writers are, you know, and that there's so many things that can come out. And aren't we, lo- you know, it's, seriously, there's no end. It's like, it's like music, you know, you, there's no end to what you can accomplish. So I'm glad, I'm excited to see that next year for sure. For sure, for sure. Amy Adams really does have tremendous range. If she can yeah, be in a does. movie musical where people pop out of potholes yeah. singing and yeah. then speak Mandarin, talk to aliens, she's very watchable. And what's funny is I feel like she disappears for two years and then she comes back and does three three movies all in the same breath, you know? Yeah, like both these movies were both at the Toronto International Film Festival. Mm-hmm. I and mean, that's Excellent. quite a feat right. to headline two movies in the yeah. same year. You know, maybe that's one of those week. festivals we're going to have to give in and go to at some point because, they, <laughs> you know, it's it's like the Hampton Film Festival. A lot of great stuff comes out of it, no question, well, no I question. I think maybe we should design our own yeah. little screen thoughts hovercraft, and maybe we could just hover over the festival. That, there you go. Well, if we're if we're done with all this nocturnal and alien and everything else, I mean, i got to go eat some stuffing, but <laughs> I'm all about the stuffing today, so... Um, <laughs> So I say that we all say a happy Thanksgiving one more time and to say that, Amy Adams, you have so much room for for improvement in next year's choices in the movies that you're doing. And I think if you're an Amy Adams fan, if you're a Tom Ford fan or a sci-fi fan, you're going to enjoy both these movies just fine. There you go. 